Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. There are some things on my heart to, that I need to share with you this morning. They're powerful things. They're liberating things. And they're things that I've not put into my notes. <laughs> so in essence, what I'm saying to you this morning is I need to depart from what I've planned to, 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 to share with you today. Because I believe that there's a word on God's heart for us right now, today, as a fellowship. And I'm going to trust the Lord to lead me in that. Remind me at the end, there's some announcements, lest I forget. But I want you to please open your Bibles, or your devices, or whatever it is that you're using, to the book of 1 Samuel. Sorry, sound crew, I'm going to really catch you by surprise today. My notes mean nothing. Uh, Mishka, can you turn me down just a little bit, please? I do want to start by reiterating some things that I shared with you last week, because we're not going to depart entirely from the flow that we are on. But last week we spoke about making a difference to make a change, or making a change to make a difference. And remember I said to you that the whole catchphrase between, uh, of last week was this phrase, if you believe you can make a difference, or if you believe you can't, you're right. Whatever is settled into your heart and that you truly believe deep down inside is that which you're going to truly experience. Because from the, from the heart, the mouth speaks, and according to what you say, we will eat the good of what it is that, that we speak. I said that Christians should be the most creative and enthusiastic people in the world, in the world because we serve a can-do God and we are a can-do people. And when you believe that you can make a difference, when you believe that things can change, that your situation can change, that your environment can change, when you believe that, something begins to kick in inside of you, both towards God in terms of faith and looking to Him, but also in terms of creativity. God created us in His image as creative beings. And he placed us in the earth. If you look at the original narrative, Adam and Eve, he places them in this beautiful garden. But then he says, go out there where things are not tame, where things are not all manicured, where things are not all beautiful and easy. Go out there and have dominion. Take dominion. When you believe that you, there is an answer, you will find it. You will find how to bring it to pass. But the place that we, we need to begin is to understand that we cannot change that which is going on around us until we change what is going on within us. We talk about making a difference on the outside. What is that in terms of kingdom language? You'd heard phrases like this, advancing the kingdom of God. Amen? We are in an advancing kingdom. The kingdom of God is an ever-advancing kingdom, and to the advancement of His kingdom there shall be no end until Jesus comes again, when it will be established. Amen? In full. And as much as I want to talk to you about making a difference out there, 
You cannot advance a kingdom until you have an established base to work from. So if you think of military projects, if you think just of the United States, I know that, for example, around the Middle East, there's certain countries that they have partnered with so that they can have bases in those countries. I know that on the south end of the, of the island of Turkey, uh, sorry, the island of Cyprus, that would have been embarrassing, the south of the island of Cyprus, the British have a, a, a military base, just a stone's throw from the Middle East. I know that in Turkey, I think it is the United States have a military base. And there's various dots and spaces throughout the world where these militaries in strategic positions have established a base from which they can work. That base is there to resource the mission. That base is there to give them a place of strength, a place that is bunkered down and that is strong in the midst of a potentially hostile environment. And in the same way, as believers, we live in a hostile environment. Jesus, in praying for his disciples, he says, God, I don't pray that you take them out, out of the world, but keep them from the world. That they be in the world, but not of the world. The world in which we live is a hostile environment. The Lord and the God of this world has an agenda. What is that? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. It's a hostile environment. <clears throat> and I want to say to you that the enemy doesn't bother with that which doesn't threaten him. The enemy doesn't bother with that which is not a threat to him. Why am I speaking this message to you today? Fellowship, as a family, as just a normal church, we live in a hostile environment. But I want to say to you, over and above that, as a family and as a church, there is too much evidence around for me to think for one moment that we are not under severe, deliberate, spiritual attack. I'm seeing too many lives within our family where the enemy is really having a good go to steal, to kill, to destroy. Along the way, it has meant that some people that were called and destined to be here and to be a part of this family have departed. He's gotten in and he's found entrance. Right now, I know of so many situations where there is struggle, where there is hard time where we feel hunkered down, perhaps overwhelmed by everything that we see going on within us and going on outside of us. And where I want to spend my time focusing this morning, because that over the, uh, in the stream of making a change, making a difference, it is all about making a change on the inside so that we can make a difference on the outside. But I want to focus very much today on the establishment of the kingdom of God within our hearts. Because from that place, from that position of strength, the kingdom of God can be manifest out. But I want to say to you this morning, let's not be naive. Let's not think for a moment that the enemy rests or that he sleeps or that he has a, a day off. We need to keep our wits about us and we need to understand that we are in a spiritual battle. 
I woke up yesterday morning, and literally the first thought that went through my head was this verse out of Matthew 11, verse 12. It says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. The kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. It's interesting, when you start reading commentaries on this verse specifically, all of them say this is the most complicated verse in Matthew to truly understand and to break down. Because what does it mean? Does it mean that the kingdom of God, which is established on the, on the earth, suffers violence from the outside? And that they try and infiltrate that by force? Does it mean that the kingdom of God advances forcefully? I want to say to you this morning, it means both. It means both. We live, as I said, in a dangerous environment. But also, those who want to lay hold of the kingdom realities of God in their lives are going to face a battle. They don't just come. They don't just happen. Is Jesus victorious? Yes. Let's have a little. Is Jesus victorious? Look at the person next to you and say, my God is victorious. Jesus is a victorious king. Do we see the manifestation of his victory and everything he came to give us in every area of our lives? Now it's a little more quiet. Because <laughs> now this requires a bit more honesty. <laughs> Why is that? Because we live in a hostile environment. And there is a battle that needs to be waged. In what? In the flesh? No. In the spirit. In the spirit, there is a battle that needs to be waged. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 onwards, it says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not fleshly. This is not a physical battle and a physical war that we are fighting, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is an established way of thinking that is untrue. Well, you could, it's, it, it, sorry, forgive me, it doesn't necessarily have to be untrue. There are strongholds of thinking that are entirely true, that Jesus is risen. Amen? Look at the person next to you, say, Jesus is alive. He is risen. You looked lost for a moment. Okay, so there can be established truth. But what this scripture here is talking about is ways of thinking, ways of seeing God, ways of seeing myself before God that are untrue. It says casting down arguments and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. What is this talking about? This is saying there is a battle at stake here, there is a war going on, and I need to engage with this war, and I need to be able to discern to discern. What is of God? What is not of God? What is according to the truth of His Word? What is not according to the truth of His Word? Whether I feel like it or not. Whether it looks like it 
or not. And the victory that I am praying for, the breakthrough that I am praying for, so often the way we think is that the victory is out there and the breakthrough is somehow out there and I need to find the way and pray hard enough and cast down enough just to bring that thing in. What this is talking about here is not a battle out there, a flesh and blood battle. This scripture specifically is talking about a battle of the mind. A battle of the heart, a battle of what I truly believe. You see, the Hebrew understanding of humanity, we often talk about spirit, soul, and body, and that is absolutely true, and we can define them that way, we can classify them that way. But when you understand it holistically, that our experience of God will only live up to the measure of our revelation in Him, our revelation of Him. So this scripture is speaking about bringing our thoughts, bringing our expectations in line with the truth of God's Word. So where is the breakthrough? Where is the victory? Where is the, the deliverance from the struggle or the need that I'm currently experiencing? First and foremost, it's here. It is in what I truly believe. Turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. Anybody know what this story is about? It's about a shepherd boy named David. Shepherd boy, amen. David and Goliath. A shepherd boy called David. And I don't want to read you the whole, the whole narrative, but there are some things that I want to highlight to you from this story. David is sent by his father to go and take some rations to his brothers that are on the front lines of a battle with a people called the Philistines. And David comes onto the scene and he sees, and, and his brothers immediately are not happy to see him. They, they mock him and say, what are you doing here? You should be looking after father's sheep. What are you doing here? You don't belong here. And he says, I've just come to bring rations. But what is going on? David says these words. Is there not a cause? So they mock David, verse 29. They mock David for coming. And he sees what's going on here. And he's asking, why are you guys camped out here? And they're camped out there. And this guy called Goliath, okay, he's pretty big. He's coming onto the scene, and he is mocking the people of Israel. Every morning he comes out, and he mocks them. He taunts them. Every evening he comes out, and he mocks them, and he mocks their God. And day after day, for 40 days, this goes on. And every day they listen. And every day they take in what he says. And after 40 days, they are hunkered down, unable to move. David comes onto the scene and he says, is there not a cause here? Verse 32, David said to Saul, he goes to the king, he says, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and defeat this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're only a youth. And he is a man of war from his youth. Now I want to say this to you. Pause there for a moment. You may be a youth, you may not be a youth. You may be very spiritual, not so spiritual. You may have a wonderful prayer life that is rich. You may be struggling in your prayer life. You may have read the Bible cover to cover 24 times. You may be struggling to get through the book of Isaiah. 
David not once put focus or attention on his ability. He did not magnify what he had done or how worthy he was to defeat this Philistine. You see, when we do that, we immediately strip ourselves of the ability to, to change, the ability to be an impact, because we disqualify ourselves. I can't do this. I don't pray in the Spirit. I can't do this. I haven't got that gift or this thing. I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I, haven't, I only prayed twice this week. David doesn't even, that doesn't even enter his mind. None of those things mattered to him because he put his focus somewhere else. He said, Saul says to him, you can't go against this Philistine. It's just impossible. So verse 26, David comes and he says this, your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord, say the Lord. Say, the Lord who delivered. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Help me preach this morning, church. Help me preach. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, He will deliver me from this Philistine. David knew who his God was. David looked back and he thought back and he thought, God came through for me there. God provided what I need there. And it didn't maybe come in the way I wanted it or in the timing that I wanted it, but my God came through. And he had full expectation that his God would come through again. Go down to verse 45. Eventually, David, as you know the story, the king says to him, very well, then put on my armor and go and defeat the Philistine. And David said, I'm swimming in this stuff. I can't wear this. He goes down to the, to the pond brings out five pebbles, puts them in his little bag, and he goes with his sling. And as he gets out into this, into this, onto the field, onto the battlefield, where this, this giant has been taunting him, I, I love this, this, this joke. It's, you know, most people there would go, oh my word, he is huge, I am toast. David went onto that battlefield and went, oh my word, he is huge, <laughs> I can't miss. <laughs> We see David walking onto the battlefield. In verse 45, he says, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He knew who his God was. He knew that he was a chosen man of covenant with this God. He was a son of Israel, the covenant chosen nation of God. And he knew who his God was. And he said, you cannot defy the armies of the living God. Who do you think you are? This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. This day I will give the carcass of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with the sword or with the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into my hands. Something in David's heart shifted him to a place of such confidence that the battle that trained men of war were shivering to confront, he came into there with boldness absolute assurance, not arrogance in his ability, but absolute confidence 
in who his God was. One of my favorite parts of this whole story is that once Goliath was defeated, they go and deliver his head and all that kind of thing, David takes the armor of Goliath. And in my imagination, in my, just the way I see it, I, I see 30 years, 40 years, however long it was down the road, I bet you in his castle and in his palace in Jerusalem, up in his living room wall, above the fireplace, there was this huge breastplate with this massive helmet and the sword. And people go, whoa, what kind of freakish armor is that? And that was Goliath. And that's what my God did. That's what my God did. I want to play you a short little video clip. How many of you have seen the movie? War Room? It's a good movie. It's a movie about a woman whose marriage is falling apart. She's got things going wrong in her life. But she reaches a point, and this is the, 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 the thrust of what I want to say to you this morning. She reaches a point where the kingdom of God, what does the kingdom of God mean? The lordship, the rulership of Jesus becomes rooted and established in her heart. We've just seen how it was established in David's heart. It caused him to speak. Amen? Now, in the same way, I want to play you just a short clip from this movie where this, this young woman, tired of what she sees going on around her, positions herself, changes her confession, and changes, aligns her heart with the Word of God and begins to speak a different message. I don't know where you are, devil, but I know you can hear me. You have played with my mind and had your way long enough. No more. You are done. Jesus is the Lord of this house. And that means there's no place for you here anymore. So take your lies, your schemes, and your accusations and get out in Jesus' name. You can't have my marriage. You can't have my daughter. And you sure can't have my man. This house is under new management. And that means you are out. And another thing. I am so sick of you stealing my joy. But that's changing too. My joy doesn't come from my friends. It doesn't come from my job. It doesn't even come from my husband. My joy is found in Jesus. And just in case you forgot, he has already defeated you. So go back to hell where you belong and leave my family alone. Good stuff, eh? Amen.
Turn in your Bibles to me, with me to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 21. I want to show you the secret that this woman began to tap into. I want to show you the secret that David tapped into. I want to show you the secret that Jesus tapped into. Proverbs chapter 18, 21 says this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Listen to this. And those who love it will eat its fruit. What does that mean, those who love it? That part of the verse intrigues me. You see, we, we understand death and life are in the power of the tongue. In other words, I will empower that which I speak. I have the power to speak life into a situation. God has empowered you in the sense... You've got to get this, folks. How did God create the entire universe? With the words of His mouth. He spoke life into existence. He said, let it be, and it was because he was authorized to speak. And he was empowered to speak. And he had the faith that when he spoke, things would happen. And this verse tells us that the power of life and death are in the tongue. You see, we saw Jesus walk in both of them. We saw Jesus go and speak to people and see them come alive. We saw Jesus walk and speak to a fig tree, and it shriveled up and died from the roots. Jesus understood the power of life and death was in his tongue. We see a young man called David running at this giant enemy of his saying, This day I will take your head off your shoulders, and I will feed the carcasses of your army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Speaking words of life over the situation. That's exactly that, what that young woman did. Let's see what the result is, Mishka. What's the second video? This is where an older woman drew alongside the same young lady, prayed with her, taught her how to pray, taught her how to speak and confess the, the, the right things in God. And this is when she gets the call. Well, what did he say? Oh, sweet Jesus. Oh, Lord. Oh, oh. See, I told you, Elizabeth. I told you that God would fight for you. Oh, Jesus. All right, baby, I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> oh, <laughs> devil. You just got your butt kicked. My God is faithful. And my God is powerful. And my God is in charge. You can't fire him, and he'll never retire. Thank you, Jesus. Glory. Hallelujah. My God is good. My God is good, and he's faithful. <laughs> Amen. My God is good. Hey, hey. Strutting the stuff. So what do I do with my challenge? So what do I do with my giant? So what do I do with my situation? First thing I need to do is position myself right, with the right understanding. Romans 8, 28 to 29 says this, And we know. Just pause for a moment. What does it mean to know? 
It means to know. It's not higher grade. It's not, and we think. This verse doesn't say, and we hope. This verse, in full assurance of who God is, says, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Conformance to the image of Jesus Christ is the essence of the establishment of His kingdom within our hearts. Did you get that? Conformance to the likeness of Jesus is the essence of the establishment of His kingdom, of His lordship, of who He is in my heart and in my life. And this verse says, we know. I have an assurance. You see, I can't change the outside. I can't do anything about my problem or about my situation until I have taken the time to know. We sang about it this morning. I will be still and know that you are my God. A couple of verses later in the same chapter, Paul goes on to say, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us... Do you know the answer to that question, by the way? If God is, who, God is for us, who can be against us? You look confused. This is not a trick question. Who can be against us? No one. No one can stand against us. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also give, freely give us all things? Let's just go back to that question. <laughs> Do you think David was asking that question? David went against the Philistines and he said, Our God is for us. Who can stand against us? Somebody tried. He didn't stand for long. He could not stand. Now, he resisted. Why? Because the kingdom of God suffers violence. There is resistance. There are those who come against. There are those who seek to steal and to kill and to destroy. There are those who try to resist, but they cannot stand against. Jesus says to Peter, at, when Peter says to him, he, he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah the prophet, and he says, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks to Peter and he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You have had an incredible revelation, Peter, and the gates of hell will not prevail against that revelation. What does that mean? It means that, what do the gates represent? Gates represent established Influence, established strongholds. But Jesus said against that, knowing even those gates cannot stand. It may try to resist you, but who can stand? Who can stand against Jesus? Who can stand? What does the scripture say again? If God is for us, who can be against us? There may be walls, there may be barriers, there may be resistance, there may be trials. 
but they cannot stand when you begin to speak into that situation, begin to assert who you are, who your God is in that situation. They must fall because there's authority in the name of Jesus. It says, You did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also give, freely give us all things? And who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen, who is even at the right hand of God and makes intercession for us. Here Paul is dismantling strongholds, he is dismantling arguments, he is dismantling accusations. He doesn't deny the existence of all those things, but he says in the light of who Jesus is, they mean nothing. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm not just a conqueror, I'm more than a conqueror. I don't know exactly what that means. The only way I can understand it is this. A conqueror is somebody who's overcome a battle. A victor is somebody who has no battles left. Battles are all fought. Battles are all won. I'm established in Jesus. More than a conqueror. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, I want you to look at that battle you are facing in the eye and understand that what the enemy meant for evil, God is purposing for your good. Your victory in that area will qualify you and authorize you to walk others through their battles, to walk others into their victory. But you have to win your victory first. You have to win your victory first. Folks, if I am enlightened and I read the Bible but not changed, if my life is not impacted by it, if my life is not transformed in a tangible way, can I say that I have met with God? It's time to move away from the fluff and the stuff to the place where the rubber hits the road and we work out our salvation in the midst of where we truly are, no longer just casting a blind eye to the situations that we may not be happy about, no longer casting a blind eye to the sin that is holding us back, to the compromise that is holding us back from where God wants to take us, no longer casting a blind eye to the apathy that, 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 that is there festering in our hearts and begin... To position, in ourself, to position ourselves in that place where we know. Where we know. And where our confession and our experience begins to change. Where we yield and submit ourselves completely to the Lordship and the Word of God. Where we stand on it and allow it to take root in our hearts and lives to bring about real change. Not just outside but inside. 
You know, even this week, I had a situation that was just plain annoying. A relational issue. A silly, stupid relational issue. Where somebody got upset with me uh, because they misconstrued and misunderstood what I said. And what I said was, uh, what I did, there was really nothing malicious in it at all. But just given the way it was received, and man, I was just annoyed at this. And I thought of, you know, you know what? I'm always the one who bucks down. I'm, not, I'm just not going to even apologize. You know what? I need to learn to be okay when people are not happy with me. I need to be okay with that. Amen? But what I can't be okay with is when God is not happy with me. And so I knew I had to go and apologize to this person, even though it wasn't my fault, which I did. And so... <laughs> it's amazing how righteous we can be. Amen? Amazing the things we can tell ourselves, but as soon as you take that to the Lord in prayer, He's going to talk to you differently. <laughs> I want to close with this, with a couple more portions of Scripture. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, chapter 6. And we're going to read from verse 10. It's this portion of Scripture that you're well familiar with, folks. Paul writes, he says, finally, brethren. What does finally mean? It means, it means, last, it means after everything I've said. After everything that I've said to you this morning, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, this is critical, because our battle isn't in flesh and blood, because there are principalities and powers out there, we have to put on the whole. It's interesting, both times he says, put on the whole armor of God. Leave nothing undone. Don't be negligent in one area of your spiritual heart, of your heart or of your development. Don't think that you can leave that sin untouched. Don't think that you can leave that offense undealt with. The whole armor of God, the whole restoration of your mind and of your heart, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. To stand. Verse 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Where does your Word come out of? Your mouth. So take up the Word of God, praying always. Praying what? Praying the Word of God. Always, with all prayer and all supplication in the Spirit, and being watchful to this end, with all perseverance. Why? Because the battle may be long. We all want the quick fix. The battle may be long. 
Put on a belt of truth. What is the truth? The truth is the enemy is defeated. The truth is that Jesus died and rose again. The truth is that our Lord and Savior is alive. And He says to you this morning, in this world, my beloved child, you are going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. The breastplate of righteousness. We are loved and accepted and made righteous despite all the evidence and every accurate accusation against us. Jesus has justified us, made us righteous, accepted in the beloved. The gospel of peace. You have your feet shod with the gospel of peace. What is the gospel of peace? God is at peace with me. My battle is not with God. My battle is not to try and get Him to do what I want to do. My battle is to get my head around understanding what He is doing and who He is and what He has done. Shield of faith. What is faith? Faith is quiet trust and bold assurance in His presence of His grace, of His ability, of His blessing, of His protection. The helmet of salvation, what does that mean? That is established deliverance. My mind is established in my salvation. And the Spirit, the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God, praying the Word and the will of God and speaking it into and over the situation. I want to end with that scripture there this morning. If we hear a message like this and come out of it, With any inkling of fear, we've misunderstood. You just said we're in a hostile environment. You just said that we are under focused and pointed attack. Yes. Yes, we are. But just like David, when everybody else was quivering in their boots he decided to put his focus elsewhere and begin to speak life and victory over his situation. He did not let fear take root in his heart. He positioned himself in the place of strength, not his strength, but in the strength of God, in the strength of the almighty, all-powerful God. So I want to ask you to stand with me this morning as we make a decision to do exactly the same thing. And if you are going through a rough time this morning, I want to ask you to come and stand here in the middle with me. If you're experiencing resistance, if there is a clear attack that you can see the enemy is having a good go at your life, at your family right now, I want you to come and stand in the middle here. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, Come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.